Beyond Synth, Season 7 sequence commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 179. Today on the show, I'm going to be chatting with Valingo, a.k.a. Aaron Valing. And of course, he writes for the blog Valingo and also has a a podcast as well, dealing with uh, artists who make cool music and uh, other stuff. And he's got some good articles and interviews on his site, and he's been doing it for for, uh, many years and so I thought it'd be cool to have a chat with him and that's what we're going to do and uh, and also I think we're going to take a listener call because it's always uh, fun to do that and uh, yeah I think that's my plan for today so how about we listen to some music and then get the show on the road so here's a cool track this is by Honeybeard I think I've played uh, one of their tracks on the show before I think they're local around here remember I'm in Toronto because I have uh, the other day I watch them play in a venue that was uh, near my house. Although, to be honest, I didn't care for the venue, so I'm not going to name it. But that's neither here nor there because uh, they make uh, some cool music, and this is a nice track. This is Reverie by Honeybeard.
And that was Honeybeard with the track Reverie. And that's a nice song that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Let's acknowledge, uh, let's see, some new patrons this month. Oh, we've got City Hunter, new patron to Beyond Synth with the 42. Thank you very much, City Hunter. You are a cool guy. It's spelled C and then 1. T-Y, and then Hunt 3R. Sometimes I want to just pronounce those the way that they're actually written and call you C1T Hunter 3, or no, C1T Hunt 3R. See, anyway, thank you for your support. Uh, that's the bottom line. And Luke Timmermans, hey Luke, Luke Timmermans upgraded his support. Did I mention this last week? Maybe I did, I don't know. And speaking of upgrading their support, IP68 has upgraded his support. And he's now in the 808 Club. That's probably a reference for all you uh, synthesizer nerds out there. You damn nerds. Anyway, thank you guys for uh, supporting the show. It means a lot to me. So how about this? Let's uh, go to the phones and take a listener call. All right, well, who's this on the line? This is Rachel Buchelman from Boise, Idaho. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Um, It's going pretty well. A lazy Sunday morning. Cool. I don't like to give away when these things are recorded, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna censor when you said what day it was. All right. Sounds good. You know, it's going to confuse the audience. They're going to be like, but, but I'm listening on a fucking Wednesday. Like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. The magic of podcasting technology. Yeah, man. It is magic. So what's uh, what, what goes on in the life of uh, Rachel? Buchelman. Not much. Kind of stuck in the work, home, sleep cycle. I work as a public health microbiologist. What is it? What? What does that mean? <laughs> so I work for the state of Idaho Public Health Lab, and I am kind of responsible for foodborne outbreak surveillance. So if you eat something dodgy that makes you sick, you kind of go to a hospital, poop in a cup. I get that poop. And I test it. It's delightful. I'm trying to think of a way to talk about this respectfully with maturity. Uh, no, it's unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with it? Like, so you get like a fucking cup with a shit in it? Like, I, I don't really... <laughs> Basically, yes. There is some like liquid in there to like help preserve the integrity of the specimen. And then I just kind of <laughs> plate it. <laughs> the integrity of the shit. Yes, exactly. Mm. You kind of see it in like movies. There's like Petri dishes and stuff. And so I basically smear the shit on a Petri dish and see what grows up. So, so yeah. when you're at work, do people all walk around with like a serious composure or like behind the scenes, do people call it shit? Like you have to call it like fecal sample when you're like outside with the lab coat. But like when people are actually in the room, is it just like, I got another thing of shit? <laughs> yeah, we call it stool. Mm. That's the technical term for it. But I have a friend who jokes about stirring turds. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's how I think of it. <laughs> so you're saying like if there's like E. coli or, or there's like, oh, there's a bunch of people going to the hospital getting sick, mm -hmm. then you're like the first line of like, let's analyze that shit. Yeah. And, and it's not just all smear and poop on stuff. I do a lot of like stuff with DNA and next generation sequencing and also known as whole genome sequencing. So then it's just looking at sequences on a screen and being like, yes, this looks like this. This has a zero point zero one percent difference between these two samples they're probably related it's, it's a lot more computer based now so it's not all just 
smear and poop on stuff. So when you do like a DNA test and comparison, like what is actually on your screen? Because like whenever I watch movies, whenever people do DNA tests, it always shows the spinning, spiraling double helix. And then they're like comparing it and the, the double helix of like the infected person has like a strand that's like green and it's like shattering away from the double helix. So is it like that? No, it's, <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> It's not like the 90s visualization of the internet, Mm. only for, like, DNA. Um, It's just, like, A, T's, C's, and G's, the four bases that make up DNA. So it's just looking at, like, lines of alphabet letters, and then the computer, like, analyzes it. So I don't have to stare at them to know, like, oh, there's a difference right here. It does everything for me, which is a relief. Like, what is the DNA testing machine? So you take this shit, Mm -hmm. and you... (laughs) It's like... And then what? Like you scrub it, like it's on a Petri dish, and then it goes into like the DNA machine? So there's several steps. So I grow it up on the plate, and so then I have an isolated colony. Okay, grow it up. Grow it up. What does that mean? Throw it in an incubator, grow it for 16 to 24 hours, and then these E. coli and salmonella grow super fast. It's kind of scary. So if you just grow it up after 24 hours, you have like billions of bacteria. And then you have to extract the DNA. So you just kind of scrape up some of the bacterial colonies, throw it in a tube, and then we have a DNA extraction robot. So it kind of does all the hard work for us. And then at the end, we have a vial of basically liquid with DNA in it. So it's a clear liquid because DNA is invisible. And then from there, we have to like amplify the DNA. So just make a whole bunch of copies of this DNA. And then there's a sequencing machine that has a proprietary cartridge. So you just kind of shoot your DNA into this cartridge, shove it in a machine, and then it does all the sequencing for me. So it's all very removed and all machine-based now. So I don't have to touch stuff very often. All right. So the DNA robot, does it look like a man? (laughs) No, unfortunately. It's just Mm. like a giant box. That's too bad. On wheels? No, I wish. That'd be awesome. It's a desktop robot. So it's just this giant box sitting on a desktop. So it's like a toaster? Like you just slide the thing into it and it's like DNA analyzed? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I want to point out to the listeners, I just did the fucking robot motion with my hands even even though I'm by myself in a room. (laughs) When you do like the fucking DNA analyzed, I have to do the thing where I'm like jerking around. Anyways, look, uh, listen, we gotta, we gotta listen to music, man. That's what we do here on Beyond Synth. So I got a track to listen to here brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters like Chris Dance, the king of the Pattersons. That's right, Chris Dance, you're a cool guy. Now go get fabricating that metal, Mr. Chris Dance. Anyways, uh, this is a fun song. This is by Eurotics. These guys make fun kind of Euro disco sounding tracks. Perfect for a a night on the town with the boys. Uh, This is a fun one. This is Hypnotized by Eurotics. Silver screen The first time 
saw her Black and white It was an open shot in black and white But she was colorful, her eyes were bright And you just had to adore her She was beautiful, was the most beautiful star upon the screen She was beautiful, was the most beautiful star I'd ever seen Staring into those eyes, feeling hypnotized, feeling hypnotized Couldn't stop if I tried, feeling hypnotized She was born in 1921 And for so long now she's been dead and gone Still she lives on forever She was beautiful, so young and beautiful All those years ago She was beautiful, so young and beautiful Still she makes me so And that was Erotics. 
with the track Hypnotized. You can't be depressed when you're uh, listening to music like that, especially if you're out there dancing with them boys. And that, of course, uh, was brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters. There's Jose Arbello with the 66.59, one cent shy of the triple six, which maybe makes Jose a force for good. Who knows? It's difficult to say. And, of course, uh, the lovely Jacob Wick. Man, Jacob, let me tell you something. You're a cool guy. Anyway, I'm back here. Uh, we're on the phone right now. We're talking to Rachel Buchelman. And I got to say, man, I, I got interesting listeners that seem to do more important work than I do. <laughs> like, I love when I talk, like, oh, I, I got scientist listeners. That's cool. Yeah, you talk to a guy who's in, like, sells, like, chemical analyzers. And I was like, that's tangentially related to what I do. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. I think that dude's more like a salesman. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know if he, like, totally understands what's in the box. He just has to deliver the box. Well, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand what the box does either. So <laughs> I, I feel him on that. <laughs> How many people then work in the place where you work doing this stuff? In my section, there's about five people. We also do water testings to make sure the water doesn't have any shady bacteria or like lead or whatever in it. So you guys do that thing where, where the farmers come in with like the plastic water bottles that you analyze? Is that something you do? Yep, that's something we do. So I've, I've done a little bit of the bacteriology stuff. So we add the water to something and if it turns yellow, that means there's bacteria in it. And then if it fluoresces, that means it has E. coli in it because E. coli fluoresces hmm. when you like interact with it somehow. I don't know. Biochemically. That's interesting. Yeah. What's the education like to get into that? So I have my bachelor's. Some people have their master's. I don't really have like a specialized med tech degree or clinical lab science degree. I just kind of had a generic biology degree. Was that what you were always interested in? I kind of wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I realized how much school that takes. Hmm. And then I graduated in 2008, which was like the worst time to graduate from college. So I didn't want to go back to school because I didn't have any money and I had no idea what I was going to do. And then the swine flu happened and I got hired because of the swine flu. The past few, like, you know, so every year seems to have like a sort of trend in the news of the calamity we're supposed to be upset about? Yes. <laughs> One year it'll be planes disappearing, you know, like that that was like a thing for a year. Remember that? When there was just like all these planes kept disappearing? Yeah, yeah, vaguely. But then like every year there would be like, a, this year it's avian flu, this year it's swine flu, this year it's fucking... One year, we were, I live in Toronto, right? So there was that mm -hmm. year it was SARS oh, and everyone's yeah. Talking about SARS, and if you actually lived here, you never actually met anyone who ever had it. But it was like a huge story, and probably like eight people had SARS, and it's like, oh, SARS! Like, what the fuck is SARS? And I remember like they were like Hollywood productions were like taking a break from Toronto for a while because of SARS, and like, is this thing like a, even a thing? Like, anyway, I didn't get SARS, is what I'm saying. And monkeypox, remember monkeypox? I don't remember monkeypox. When was that? I remember there was. In Toronto, there was a monkey that was in a store that was wearing a little fur coat. The Ikea monkey? Yeah, man. That was in Toronto. I loved that, that monkey. That monkey's amazing. That picture of the Ikea monkey, like, with the little coat on is, like, one of my favorites. I know it's, like, it's memed and billions of people have seen it, but it makes me so happy to see that picture. My favorite twist on that was, like, there's this porn star named James Dean, mm -hmm. and he dressed up as the Ikea monkey and, like, took a picture play-acting as the Ikea monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen porn, so I don't get the joke. So, <laughs> of course, I, I don't either. <laughs> so what else goes on in the life of Rachel Buchelman? And and Sarah is your sister? Yes. Yeah, she's my twin sister. So does and, she also um, smear or what? She's got a different job than you. 
I, no, why, would, works, why would you guys have the same job? I yeah. That's me being an She asshole. works at the uh, Boise Public Library in their like acquisition. So she's the one that like slaps the RFID tag on the on the books so you can't steal them without checking them out and stuff. Right. Well, that's cool. We just started a D&D group. And it's nice because it's a way to hang out with my friends more than once every three months or so. Because, like, adults suck at hanging out with their friends. So you guys are sort of like atypical women then, right? You know, you're playing D&D. You're fucking doing science shit. This is the new paradigm, man. This is exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. We can, we can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's a weird mentality going on now that I don't believe is true when it comes to nerdy stuff that somehow boys, you know, and men who, you know, typically used to enjoy these things sort of more than ladies are somehow like gatekeepers and like they don't want ladies to be part of it or whatever. But like in my experience in my life, I'm speaking on behalf of me, but also people I know that when I was young, most of the people I knew who played video games were dudes. D&D, dudes. There's certain things that were more kind of dude, like science fiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. But whenever you found a lady who liked it, it was very exciting, you know? And it was like, you'd want them to be part of the group because it was always Sausage Fest. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like, if you were like into D&D and you found out there was a girl who liked D&D, like it was the opposite of gatekeeping. It was like, like, what, there's a girl that likes this? Like, fucking join the club. Like, we need we need those. Right. But there's sort of this attitude now that dudes are, like, angry or, or that they, they don't like women to like the things that they like. And I've never experienced that in my life. For me, it was always, like, especially with video games, that was my thing. Like, I was never really into D&D. When I found out a girl liked video games, that was, like, one of those things that you would be, like, all excited about to share with your buddies. Like, and she likes playing games. Like, that was cool mm-hmm. and exciting. And now, like, obviously it's different because, like, it's sort of shifting. It's funny to me now because when I think about gamers and the fact that when I was a kid, it was like a lot of boys doing it, but like every girl I know, like they're always, they might not be playing the same type of games, but like a video game on the phone is still a video game. Right. And everyone's playing games now. Like everyone's a gamer. They might not use that term, but it's like, hey man, if you're playing fucking Toon Blast on your phone, like nonstop, you're a gamer, right? Even if it's not like a hardcore RPG, you know? Yeah. I think it's it's a silent, well, not so silent minority that's kind of ruining it for the rest of everybody else. Because, yeah, I, I've experienced the same thing. Like, in elementary school, that was when the X-Men cartoon was, like, really big. Anyway. And, like, on recess, like, we'd play X-Men and, like, you'd pick your character or whatever and play fight on the playground or whatever. Mm. So I have never experienced like the gatekeeping assholes or whatever that try to ruin it for the rest of everybody else. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, that's that's all I'm saying. It's just that, you know, we're all cool people. That's basically the bottom line. But look, we got to listen to some more music because that is the name of the game. So here is a cool track. This is Facehugger with the track Power Unleashed featuring Street Cleaner.
And that was Facehugger with the track Power Unleashed featuring Street Cleaner. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Of course, we mentioned City Hunter. And then with the 2666, it's a Lucas Sabios. And in the $25 Club, Mr. Clint Dowling, Tim Carlton, and Johnny Five. Thank you all for supporting the show. And we're back talking on the phone with a listener and a Patreon supporter, Rachel Buchelman. Yeah, so what uh, goes on? What do, what do you do in your free time then when you're not... Uh... Not, not stirring turds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to go to music shows. It's kind of sucky because Boise isn't typically on the list because we're right smack dab in the, the triangle of Salt Lake City, Portland, and Seattle. Right. And so usually that's where they go. Like a year ago, I went to see Depeche Mode in Seattle. And that was pretty awesome. So how long is the drive? I think it's about a nine-hour drive, but I, I always fly. I hate driving. Ooh, la-di-da. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm taking Alaska Airlines where they, like, shove you in a tiny plane and you don't get anything. How long's how long's the flight? About an hour, an hour 15. Okay, that's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Alaska Airlines. Is that, like, a <laughs> joke for Americans? Like, is, is that a thing that when you say that, people understand what that means? Like, a step above, like, the Spirit and Allegiant, which are, like, the super, super discount ones. But it's about the same as, like, Southwest-ish. So, kind of that low to middling airline. So there's not much leg room, then? Oh, God, no. Nope. <laughs> are you a tall person or a short person. I'm only 5'4", so fortunately... Like, I don't need a lot of leg room. Even for me, it's kind of like, oh, I'm squished down and shoved into a seat. That's average lady height, right? 5'4", isn't it? Yeah, about. I'm kind of on the shorter end of average, I I would say. I feel like 5'4", is like, I feel like average man in North America is like 5'10", I think. 5'9", 5'10". And lady, I think, is 5'4". I could be wrong. Well, I'm also lying and adding an inch to my height. (laughs) (laughs) 5'4". three <laughs> on my driver's license it, i think it says five four but that's not true well that's all that matters <laughs> i don't even know what mine says because in canada for some reason even though we still if you ever talk to someone in conversation they will say their height in feet but mm-hmm. the driver's license says it in centimeters oh so it's like, I'm 163 centimeters. Like, and I have no idea what that means. Even though, like, I use yeah. centimeters for all measurement, but not for uh, height. Oh, and our shoe size, we do. Um, no, because I'm thinking of feet. I'm not thinking of shoe size. I'm thinking of feet as in the measurement of height. That's the same thing. See, my brain yeah. is not. Yeah. <laughs> I got to give myself a slap in the head. Is there, like, special Canadian shoe sizes? Because, like, I'm good. Yeah. UK size five, but like a US seven, seven and a half. Canada and the States have the same. We all do the same thing. Although I prefer, because I'm a slim guy, although I have a fucking belly I got to get rid of, but you got to change your diet for that. And God, that's really hard to do. But I like, I I like the, I usually buy stores that sell like the European sizes because for my particular frame, like the North American sizes are wrong for me because it's like they're designed for fatter people. They're shorter, but wider whereas i need long because i have like long arms and long legs and so i need thin slim things but with long appendages so, so like the euro cut yes basically, or yes that's, that, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going the long way around to describe euro cut that yeah. is <laughs> that's, that's kind of 
like my husband. Like he has wide shoulders, but he's quite slim. So like if he gets something to fit his shoulders, it's like a, a tent on him basically. Yeah, that's what that's what happens to me when I would go to like Moore's. That's a fucking suit store up here. All the suits they would measure me and go like, oh, you're a fucking thirty here and a forty here or whatever. And then they would come out with a jacket that made me look like a fucking box. Like it was all boxy because if the arms were the right length for me, then the rest of the shape of the thing is off. Mm-hmm. So it was always a pain in the ass. Like and then and then to have a suit tailor made that uh, that has some uh, cost to it yeah men's fashion is kind of one of my weird tangential interests and like i think there's some tailors that are doing bespoke suits that are like not quite as expensive as like traditional bespoke like italian or english or whatever yeah 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 suits i'm big into the idea of bespoke furniture like cupboards like whenever i try and think about maximizing the use of my space in our Mm -hmm. apartment or whatever i always just think wouldn't it be cool to just have a shelf or a cupboard that's completely built to fit that exact corner Mm -hmm. and so you know what i mean so it would be like this weird lopsided thing like on one side but it would appear like a shelf to what you see but then like Mm -hmm. the back of it would be on like this weird angle and like all this so like it fits perfectly in the thing anyway that's it (laughs) (laughs) these are the things that get me excited (laughs) anyway look we gotta listen to some more music it's music time so here's an awesome track from judge bitch who was on the show last season. And I don't think we played this song on the episode, so we're going to play it now. Of course, this is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Emilio Astavez, Action Jackson, Chris Williams, and Christian James. You guys are the best. Anyway, now we're going to listen to some cool music by Judge Bitch. This is Vandal, featuring Gold Reaper. One, two...
And that was Vandal by Judge Bitch featuring Gold Reaper. And don't forget, you can uh, check out last season when I had uh, Judge Bitch on the show because that was a good one. That, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Joey and Kendra, Frank Skinicki, and Gregorio Franco. And also Mike Shima. That rounds out the uh, the $25 club nicely. You guys are all awesome. And uh, we're back here. We're uh, taking a listener call today, chatting with uh, Rachel Buchelman, Beyond Synth listener and patron extraordinaire, whose sister was the queen of the Pattersons last month. So was there something you wanted to talk about? I feel like we were, uh, we were going to have a conversation about, like, 80s music or Depeche Mode or something, and I probably derailed it with... Uh, <laughs> As I normally do. I know you're a big Depeche Mode fan, and I think you you enjoy the early stuff, but then like the mid '80s, like weird noise stuff, you're not as big of a fan of. Is that is that correct? Okay, well, my favorite album of Depeche Mode is Black Celebration. Okay, so that is when they're like hitting things with sticks. And yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I, I like that okay. stuff. I mean, because I was th- I was listening the other day to this isn't Black Celebration, but the one before Construction Time. Mm-hmm. Or no, that's not even the one before. No, it is. Is it? You know that one? They've got this song called Pipeline. Yes. That yeah. literally is just them banging things and just that's not like one of my favorite tracks or anything. But I was just thinking about it. To me, honestly, the weakest Depeche Mode for me, my personal taste, is Exciter. Okay. That's my least favorite album because the songs don't have a lot of punch in it. Like, the beats are all kind of clicky and, like, blippy sounding. Yeah, they were kind of doing, like, the mid-90s techno-ish. But the songs didn't have power. They were just kind of weak. Like, the percussion was all, like, like this stuff and like and so even the song that was my favorite is probably like I Feel Loved yes yeah that's yeah. like the biggest song on the album as as far as just sounds it sounds big but even that one I'm like they should remix this song with better stuff going on and then in the 80s I think the second album is the weakest mm, yeah cause they had to figure out how, what they were going to do without Vince Clark. Yeah, that one's weird. It's a weird album. Like, it still has some songs I like. I think my favorite is uh, is the instrumental one. I really like that. What's that song called, though? Because that one I dig. I mean, it's okay. It's just, it's not the strongest. For me, Black Celebration, obviously Violator. Yeah. Ultra, I really like. That was kind of like a dirty album. Yes, but I fucking, I'm going to take my time. Like, that is like... That's the go-to thing, man. I love yes. that. And then, yeah, Exciter I wasn't mad on. And then the second last one. So I think, was it Playing the Angel with, um, mm. what's that song? Fucking, with the song about divorce. The fuck? Oh, um, Precious and Fragile. Precious, yeah. Is it called Precious? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. That, so that song was great. And what I liked about that song, though, was it was clearly them going, like, this is what I like what bands do when they're around for so long and they keep, because ex- Depeche Mode keeps experimenting, which is interesting. But then that was during that phase where, like, I was wanting to hear more of that 80s sound again. Mm-hmm. And that was before, like, the synthwave scene and stuff. And so what I liked about that song in particular was it was almost like it follows the template of Enjoy the Silence. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a kind of similar sounding song. Like, it's almost like they went in and just, like, made a new version of Enjoy the Silence, but, like, a mm-hmm. different song. Because it, it, I think it's almost even, like, structured the same. Yeah, I think so. And it's yeah. got a good beat to it. Like, it's got that nice sort of poppy sound. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really dug that album. The last one is okay. 
I was fine with it, but I don't I don't think I really know any of the songs on it. There's a song called Where's the Revolution? And I think if you listen to the lyrics in the 80s, they were kind of speaking out about anti-Thatcherism and, and stuff like that. And so I think it got lost in the beats and, and the synths and stuff. Hmm. And so I think they're kind of returning to that and being like... Hey, guys, we've always kind of been political. Here, we're kind of returning to that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, it was okay. Like, I should probably go back and listen to it, because I really only gave that album, like, one listen. But, like, honestly, everything I listen to now is mostly, like, indie electronic artists who make his synthwave and stuff like that. So it's almost like I don't have time for you know, these big uh, popular acts anymore, but I'll give it another listen. So anyway, what what else is going on, man? You know, before we were talking, it was funny because uh, hearing you talk about X-Men cartoon, that just <laughs> brought back all those memories of the, like the theme song and all that stuff. But like, do you still enjoy like superhero stuff? Like, do you watch like the new ones? Do you, do you care about any of this? I think it's interesting that Marvel's like getting you to care about stuff that I never cared about. So, like, X-Men, I was on board from day one because, mm-hmm. like, my childhood. But now they're just throwing everybody into the mix and, like, Ant-Man and Wasp. And then they're like, oh, I kind of care about these characters now, which I never thought I would because it's not Wolverine or whatever. And I read an article that was actually pretty good about this, like, a while ago, saying, like, that's one of the strengths of Marvel is almost that they didn't have the rights to X-Men. Mm-hmm. Because if they did, you wouldn't have any of these heroes because they would have gone straight for X-Men if they had them. Right, yeah. So now it's cool because now they've been able to build up all these side characters to be popular characters. And now that they'll have X-Men back, they can integrate them into the Marvel Universe or whatever. So I think that's pretty cool because, yeah, like, obviously if Marvel had Spider-Man, mm-hmm. they would have just done Spider-Man mm-hmm. early on. And then they would have never, there probably would have never been like a Thor mm-hmm. in movie, you know, like things like that right from the beginning. Because it's just like Thor. Like, why are you doing Thor? Right. Or like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, well, yeah, that's another one. Like, is, <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I mean, like, I never knew who Guardians of the Galaxy were. Like, Ant-Man I never would have cared about. Mm-hmm. But as far as Captain Marvel, I don't really have any, I don't have any strong feelings either way. I'll just wait till it comes out. I like seeing the CGI youngified actors. <laughs> like, that's like the more exciting thing to me is just seeing Samuel Jackson, like, you know, with the CGI to make him look young. Mm-hmm. And two eyes now. Yeah, and two <laughs> eyes. I'll watch it, but I'll, I'm obviously more interested just to see how Captain Marvel fits into the second half of Infinity War. You know, like, right. that's where it's going to count. Yeah. Because I think you said, like, it didn't feel, like, high stakes enough. Like, you, it, it was, like, half of the universe, yes, but it just felt very low stakes. Like, I didn't care enough mm-hmm. about him snapping at the end. Like, I just didn't care. I thought the scene was cool, but it was, like, mm-hmm. since I knew they were going to reverse it, it didn't have... Right. So the next film hopefully they actually kill some people for real and then it will matter more exactly i was just watching it and it like you could tell they were trying to like stir emotions but i was just like i don't feel what they want me to feel and it it was kind of like like it didn't have that gravitas to it i guess yeah i think it's just because you knew they were gonna flip it that's the main problem so like i thought okay the spider-man one fading away like that 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 was effective but the rest of them it was all pretty just matter of fact like oh everybody's disappearing (laughs) yep Exactly. Hopefully with the next one, they they deliver on some removal of characters because there is way too many. Mm -hmm. Some of them got to go. Like, they just got to go. Yeah. But we'll see what happens, man. It's exciting stuff. (laughs) Yes. Not as exciting as stirring up fucking turds or whatever, but uh, (laughs) it's something. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, it was lovely talking to you, Rachel Buchelman. Thanks, Andy. And you have a lovely day over there in Boise. You as well in, in Toronto. 
All right, and that was uh, Rachel Buchelman. It's always fun to uh, chat with the listeners of the show. We're going to be changing the format up a bit this season. So like I mentioned in the previous episode, how I'm going to be sort of reaching out to more people, more new voices on the show this season. So hopefully we reach the uh, the next Patreon goal, because what I hope to do is to, instead of taking listener calls on the podcast, I want to do basically like an after show live call in after we air the episodes on Twitch and uh, maybe I'll try and do one a month but I also have a Patreon goal up there to do weekly call in shows so uh, hey man tell your friends about Beyond Synth let's get some more ears on the show and there's also more ways to support the show now as well which uh, I guess I'll talk about after uh, we listen to a song. Uh, it's song time. This is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Murat with the 1984, and Assy Dre with the 16, and in the $15 club, it's Hampus ML and Ken Giroux. And uh, this is a cool track from Watch Out for Snakes. And uh, he's a cool guy. He sent me a cool thing. It was like a Nintendo cartridge, but it had like the sticker for his uh, his album on it, like it was a Nintendo game, and I thought that was cool. And uh, this song is called Heartbeat by Watch Out for Snakes.
And that was Watch Out for Snakes with the track Heartbeat, brought to you by my awesome uh, Beyond Synth supporters. And like I said, there's uh, another way now. So for people who don't want to use Patreon, my very talented web designer, Mr. Mike Rezel, who is a cool guy, he's put up a... A PayPal option. If you click on the PayPal button on the website, there are two options. There's a subscription option, just like Patreon, where I think we have 5, 10, and 25 right now, where if you click one of those, it'll do a monthly subscription, or there's also like one-time donation button. And we also have the shop up, although I haven't properly tested it yet. Mike told me to test it last week, and I said, oh, I'll test it, man, and then I got sidetracked, and so that's something I still have to do. But I just want to acknowledge that some new Beyond Sin supporters have... Uh, uh, taking advantage of that. So Ross, who used to be on Patreon, he switched over to that. Ross Elias. Is it Elias or Elias? I get confused because you used to be the Ross Conian. So now I have to remember that you're the Ross Conian. And of course, don't forget uh, Retro Revolutions. We're going to be uh, doing, I think, uh, monthly chats with Jared so that we can spend a bit more time talking about the different projects he's working on. But uh, go check out Retro Revolutions on YouTube and uh, at Retro Faith Games on Twitter. He's the guy who does cool uh, console modifications and he's uh, think he's just about to drop another video in the series of the uh, Game Boy Advance mod he's making for the Midnight, which is pretty cool. And we have a new supporter for Beyond Sent, Mr. Christian Alexander, who is uh, supporting the show this month with a very generous donation. Thank you. Dude, you're a cool guy. So I have to figure out a way to sort of differentiate between the Patreon supporters and the people who uh, support the other way. Man, I'm going to have to get like a spreadsheet. What do I know about spreadsheets? It's absurd. Anyway, let's... (laughs) Look, uh, we got lots of plans. We got lots of fun things to do. Now let's go and uh, chat with Velingo. All right. So, how do you say your name, first of all, Valingo or v- v- Velling? Aaron Velling? Aaron Valing. Valing, like that? Yeah, like Valing, like unveiling. Mm-hmm. And then Valingo, adding go at the end changes the way you accent this and that. So, yeah. so you say Valingo? Valingo. Valingo. Valing. Valingo. <laughs> Valingo. Some people call it Valingo. I don't, it's more of an idea than it is a, a particular uh, prescription. Like Batman. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's all about the idea and. No. <laughs> what am I, the, the, not the hero people want? <laughs> the one they need or opposite yeah, yeah, of yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. I'm not the blog that people want. I'm the blog that they deserve. Sure. There you go. So where does where does fucking Iron Skullet fit into that then? Um, well, since you're recording, <laughs> <laughs> moving along. Listen, I'm here today with Aaron, who writes uh, for a blog called Ve- See, now I fucked it up. Velingo, which is a cool resource for interviews with the synthwave-related stuff, and you've had some big interviews with some people who will never be on my show, so it's cool that if people want answers from cool guests, they can go to your blog. (laughs) We all compliment each other in different ways. (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Give me Cliff Martinez's phone number, and we'll see see how we can uh, compliment. But, uh... (laughs) Yeah, so you, you do a, you do a good thing, and you're a uh, a good writer. Thank you. I try. Uh, it's a professional thing, though. It's kind of cheating. I went to school for it, and I've been doing it for twenty years. So for journalism or what? Yeah, yeah. I was actually a newspaper reporter for a while, an editor. 
I ran an online journalism program for students in a high school. I was a daily legal news journalist for a while. What's a daily legal news journalist? So what that means is for every day, I'd write several stories about like employment law and entertainment law and international antitrust law. So I would be on like press conferences for you know, antitrust, like monopoly stuff. To be honest with you, I was going to ask you because I, when it comes to law, there's words that I know, yeah. you know, like I've seen the word antitrust suit. I've seen Pelican brief. <laughs> I don't know what all these things are. So you tell me what an antitrust. Okay. So around the world, there's governments that try to keep companies from merging and then having all the, the customers and there's no competition. So little folks can't, little companies can't compete and then they go out of business. So you have like Omnicorp. Right. Or uh, E-Corp, if we're talking about like a Mr. Robot scenario. And, you know, in the U.S., it's where obviously I'm based. They don't take it as seriously here as they do like in Europe. So I would do a lot more European stuff. But the fun stuff that like sort of pertains to what the listeners will care about is that I used to, to write. <laughs> I don't care what the listeners care about. <laughs> yeah, <'Cause there's>, fuck <laughs> that. Did I say fuck on your... It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. No, this is a this is an offensive program. Oh, well, fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> So I would get like uh, the blurred lines type stuff when, you know, you sue over uh, it's like copying music and stuff like that. I did a lot of that kind of like music IP writing as well. So a lot of different types of things. Why is the word trust in antitrust? It's like the trust, the legal idea of a trust, like something that's an entity that's set up. Oh, OK, OK, OK. A bunch of stuff. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, because I know. Th I think that was my confusion. Is you know when there's like legal jargon, yeah. And then so when I hear antitrust, it doesn't sound to me that it means to not allow for gigantic monopolies. Oh, antitrust to me sounds like you know when a when a corporation sells a thing, but they've mislabeled the product, and so like oh. you know people don't trust the you know because I'm seeing I'm using the other definition of trust in my brain. Right, right, right. Like or a band is like yeah, we do synthwave, and then you listen to it and. You're like, oh shit, this is like EDM with a Roland synthesizer. That never it. happens. People never misuse the hashtag synthwave. Never. Although I, my Instagram is full of that because I, for some reason, I decided on Instagram to follow hashtag synthwave. Oh, you poor bastard. And. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of not synthwave thanks to that hashtag. Like, there'll be these weird things where it'll be like a 30-second clip of The Simpsons, but it's zooming in and zooming out, and it's all blurry, and in the background is, like, some rap song. What? I don't know if there's um, an app on your phone or for Instagram where you can just sort of whip together very quickly, like, um. music videos just using some random footage, and it'll sort of do a bunch of effects for you that hit on the beat or something. I can't explain it with words, but if you see it, you would sort of be like, oh, one of these fucking things where it's just like weird music plays and it just zooms in and out of like weird footage and it just seems like a robot made it. Like it doesn't seem like a person had anything to do with this. Right, right. As Synthwave becomes less of a thing that's like on, you know, the Synthetics Facebook group, like it was like, you know, six years ago, as it becomes more commercialized, there's going to be, everybody's going to try to make a buck off of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've never seen this app. It sounds crazy. Actually, you know, if we're talking about apps... Gunship has a really awesome app. The the Gunship guys have an app called uh, Wearable. Yeah, <laughs> you know Wearable, right? My my Facebook profile uses Wearable. It's like it's awesome. You can do animated like VHS effects. It can be a GIF or GIF or whatever. Mm. Villingo, Valingo, yeah. <laughs> uh, or it can be <laughs> it can be a video. Um, I think the first episode of Real Beyond Synth, I did a little ad for Wearable. Oh yeah, and Dan sent me over all the 
promotional stuff. They had all the logos and things, and I was trying to think, like, what's a stupid idea for an ad? I was going to do a skit. Like, the skit was going to be for a product, and then it just was like, maybe I can find one that's actually, like, relevant to the scene. And then I think they just... <laughs> put out a wearable like a month earlier or something and yeah it seems cool I've, I've got a bunch of listeners who use wearable like yeah. i'll see their posts on instagram or like there'll be a movie poster and it looks like it's raining and there's like fire in the corner and stuff yeah totally that sounds like every movie now though yeah. <laughs> every show everything's post-apocalyptic it's like a teen love story and there's like if you have 16 candles except it's the apocalypse yeah <laughs> Well, you know what? It's a music apocalypse now because we got to listen to some songs. That's a terrible segue. Uh, look, uh, it's time to listen to some more music, and that is what we are going to do. So here's a cool track from User US3R. This guy's got some cool tunes, so you should go uh, check him out. And this track is called Chemistry by User.
And that was User with the track Chemistry. That, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Chatterack with the 1495, Pattern Shift with the 1337, and Adam Force with the 1313. And, of course, we will never forget the immortal Chris Lane. And we're back. We're talking to Aaron Veiling, and we're talking about movies. And actually, you know, something you said just reminded me of this idea, because, you you know, you're talking about how there's these sort of, like, mashups happening with these movies. And that's a phase in cinema I want to see sort of ushered in, like the movie mashup phase. I talked about this before, but here's my concept. Obviously, we've been in a phase for a long time of remakes. Right. No one really likes them. And everyone's always really upset when they happen. So I, I don't know why they keep happening. Every 20th one is like, okay. Oftentimes a remake of a movie that, I don't know if they're really beloved. Like, I think um, Disney did that Pete's Dragon. That's supposed to be better than the original one. But I haven't watched either, because whatever. Uh, dragon, what the hell? Is that the one with, like, the animated dragon? Yeah, like, the original one is a cartoon, and the new one, it's more, like, it's just a CGI. It looks like it's oh. actually belongs in the place. Okay. But yeah, you know, it happens all the time, right? You know, they do RoboCop, you know, another Predator movie, whatever, and no one, they're never good, right. or they're fine at best. But what I what I always wanted to happen was to go through some sort of, like, mashup phase, like remixing, where, where you take elements from movies that were cool, but maybe the movie wasn't oh, the best. Okay. So, like, I love Legend. Legend is incredibly flawed film, but I like it regardless. But obviously, like, the the highlight of Legend is Tim Curry in that devil makeup. Right. What if you did another movie where Tim Curry was playing that same character with the same look, but you just put him in a different film? That might be a cooler film, right? But, like, you take what worked about the movie and then... Right. I remember, like, uh, Will Smith's iRobot, which is a silly film, but I really like the robot. Oh, the robot's awesome. Yeah, like, the robot was cool. I remember when the movie was over, I was like, that character was really cool. It'd be cool if, like, that robot was just in a different film. And then, theoretically, it is sort of in Star Wars Rogue One, because it's the same actor who played the robot. Although he looked different. Like, for me, like, I like the way he looked and the way he sounded. Why was I thinking it was Nigel from Frasier? No, it's fucking Alan Tudyk. (laughs) Wow. He's a blessed man. Yeah, he played uh, the robot in Rogue One. That's right. So that's what I want to see. I want to see, go back in the movies that had an element that was cool. You know, when you go back and go, man, this movie, I wish this movie was better, but that guy was cool in it, or this actor was cool in it, and literally have them play the same character. I mean, obviously, it's impossible now, because obviously a lot of these actors are, like, old and stuff. CGI. When it gets to the point where it would be that good, that would be really funny to do. Even if it's, like, some weird performance by, like, you remember that one was, like, you know, Robert De Niro, and he does this crazy performance, but the movie's shitty, but he's cool? Or, like, there's a lot of Christopher Walken performances like that, where he's awesome, but the movie's stupid. And you're just like, wouldn't it be cool if this, this character was just transplanted into a different film? Yeah, you, you made me think of the, the, the Christopher Walken, Brendan Fraser film where they're underground. They think there's a nuclear strike. Alicia Silverstone was in it. I know the movie, yeah, he's, he's yeah. Basic, I basically know everything about the movie but the title, but his character in it was awesome. Are you thinking of the movie called Blast from the yes. Past? Is that what that yes, movie's Dave called? Yes, Dave Foley is in it, uh, Canada's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I love Christopher Walken, though, man. But there's this period of time when he was in, like, everything. He would just pop up in all sorts of stuff, and it was awesome. But I haven't seen him in anything lately. I feel like he's he's getting up there in years. Maybe he's just retired or something. I don't know. I think one of my favorite Walken roles, other than the one in Annie Hall where he's, like, 
you know, I just could pull the car in front of oncoming traffic at any moment now. Yeah. <laughs> like, but the other, the, the role I really liked was when he played Max Shrek, the character in Batman Returns. Oh, yeah, for sure. Batman Returns is actually my favorite Batman film. I'm 36, so the Burton Batman movies were like the formal ones for me. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I think Batman, his first Batman was actually a better movie in general, but I prefer Batman Returns. Uh, I like the aesthetic. And I think it's a little bit deeper story. It's more interesting to me. I think it was even like the cartoon that actually got me into Batman. Although, I mean, I had seen the film and I liked the oh, movie. Oh, right. you mean the best Batman, the animated series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, And definitely it was around that time that I remember renting Batman Returns all the time. Like, I love Batman Returns. What I love about it is that it's so weird. It's a Batman movie, but it's a very specific and stylized strange film oh and it on one hand it's dark and gothic on the other hand it has this really weird contemporary and cheesy sense of humor yes it's so bizarre but i love danny elfman's score in that film i think that's one of my favorite scores of his that's a high point yeah yeah it's just so operatic like it's and and there's just something weird about the whole look of the movie how it like you can kind of tell it's all on a set even like the city square and stuff it's like it just feels like it's in a set when i rewatched batman returns last year and i was really struck by how like over overtly sexual oh and yeah the dialogue <laughs> is really actually fucking raunchy and i totally missed that when i was like 10 years old i don't know what it was i think it was just because the movie was so strange like i think the first movie is a bit more normal yeah when i look back on them batman returns is very clean looking it's very sharp like i like the lighting um Bat- like the first batman movie the first tim burton one it's a little grainier right. and it's like the sound effects editing is a little weird in that one like the punch sound effects i've always been distracted by they sound really strange <laughs> yeah. and i know this will become sacrilege because this show is all about 80s stuff but i don't like the prince song interludes oh, i feel like no. they, they feel out of place to me it's like they stop to play a prince song i mean i tolerate it it's fine but it's like i just find those so weird like i think batman returns is just more consistently just a thing like i almost feel like the the prince songs are like let's stop the movie now and play prince for two minutes and like that's what it feels like when i watch it right well that whole thing is because warner brothers had prince in a contract he had to produce an album and so he basically had to make all these songs for batman and i feel like warner brothers was just like let's maximize prince as much as possible so let's just have joker dance in a museum to party man yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, so it's weird because like i'm a huge <laughs> prince fan and being from minneapolis and a huge batman fan and i love prince's batman album the songs that are in the mm-hmm. movie and that aren't however i agree with you 100 i think that them together doesn't make any sense it's tonally just too abrupt of a shift especially since the movie has this weird aesthetic of like that it takes place in like the 40s or something you know like you can't quite pin down what era gotham is like it's sort of weird right but then when you just have all of a sudden they just play like clearly like 80s music it just jives with the or is jives the right word because jives means it it goes with it right it doesn't jibe doesn't jive. No jive. Also, the costume in part one looks like that thing weighs like 2,000 pounds. Like, it's so thick. Right. I like the sleeker look of the Batman Returns outfit. Yes. That one's super cool. I've always, uh, I've always dug that. But look, man, we got to listen to some more music. It is music time on uh, Beyond Synth. So here is a cool track. This is Kirk Gadget from the Ghost in the Machine episode two. Is that an EP or an album? Well, whatever. It's cool. Anyway, this song is called Control.
And that was Control by Kirk Gadget. And remember, you can check out all the artists I feature on the show. Just check out the links. If you're listening to the show on SoundCloud or on YouTube, just uh, click the info, the show notes, and you'll see all the links of all the artists I feature on the show. So go check them out and support them because it's all cool stuff. And we're back with uh, Aaron from Velingo, and uh, we're talking about Batman. I guess it's like my favorite thing. You know what? I used to talk about Batman a lot more on this show, and then Mike Mendoza made fun of me, and then I toned it down, but it's... It's fun to, to talk about Batman again. Who's your favorite Batman? I think Keaton's the best Batman overall, or at least the best Bruce Wayne. I think so. Like, for me, I recognize... Like, I love Batman, so I recognize that The Dark Knight is a better movie, I think, overall. Like, a better film. Actual film, yeah, yeah. There's just something so unique about Batman Returns that there's just no other film like that. And the fact that it's a superhero movie on top of it all, like, it's just... I don't think there will ever be another movie that's like that. Like, it's just so weird. I feel like that was the high point of Burton's visual aesthetic before he got, like, overly weird with all the Johnny Depp movies. My issue with the Johnny Depp ones, it's like they're in some sort of competition to see how unlikable and annoying they can make Johnny Depp right. to be. Like, when they showed, like, the Willy Wonka when the first trailer came out, yeah. it made me angry. Like, his performance, the way he looked, like, it was just frustrating to look at. Right. I did watch it again. I think, like, last year. I was just curious. I'm like, remember this fucking movie annoyed me? And... I actually don't hate the movie. I still think he's annoying, like his performance. But I think the worst part of the remake was the music. Like the musical oh, numbers sure. were just bad. Like they just don't, they don't have the catchiness of the original movies. Yeah, no, Tim Burton, when he was on the top, I used to say he was my favorite director. Like when I was young, I used to say Tim Burton is my favorite director because I loved the two Batman movies. I love Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, Scissorhands, woo! I think Edward Scissorhands might be his best movie, even though I like Batman Returns more. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think Edward Scissorhands is just such a good movie. So it was around that time that I was saying this stuff. I'm like, oh, is he so awesome? And then, and even Sleepy Hollow, even though that's when he started to sort of not be as good, yeah. I still think Sleepy Hollow is cool. Oh, yeah. I own that on DVD. I watch it many times. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I still think the ending is a little convoluted, but I remember the first time I watched it, this movie's so cool. And then when it finally got to the ending of the, like, you mean the Van Garretts and the Van Tussles and the Buss and Buss and Blah, and I just was like, fuck you. Like, I just wanted to just be straightforward. <laughs> like, this guy's collecting heads. Like, there's nothing wrong with a movie where there's just a fucking demon collecting people's heads. Yeah. Like, who's got anything against a demon collecting heads? Just let him. <laughs> the demon collect the heads, right? Like, I feel like you have to have that. That's just reality. <laughs> we we can we'll we'll go back to this. I feel like I end up talking too much. Why did you start Velingo? So I started it because I was a huge fan of the Valerie Collective and Italians Do It Better and Drive and that sort of thing. And it took me like three years to actually get it up and running. But that was like the main thing is I just wanted to have a blog that I could just write about Valerie and Italians do better all day, basically. So it wasn't actually like I didn't really think of Synthwave specifically as the topic of the blog. It was specifically for those artists. And I still re really adhere to that generally. Like I just posted like a 3000 word first entry in my Valerie stories piece on Anorex the 10th anniversary of Night Drive with you. And I'm kind of, I'm always like doing Valerie stuff whenever I can. But that was the main thing is I wanted to write about all of that stuff. There seems to be just a general love for the people 
who you hear first, like your first entries into this kind of music that sort of sticks with you as always sort of being your favorites. You know, like when you talk to people who found the synth wave scene around, like I, I sort of discovered it in like 2013. Okay. When I talk to people from around that time, you know, their favorites will be, you know, they'll they'll be like Laserhawk, Miami Nights. Sure. Uh, they'll talk about the Valerie Collective, College, stuff like that. Yeah. And then Perturbator. And it's, you know, so, and then as we go further, then it's, seems to be like whatever window people climb into to get to the scene it's like that's that'll always be one of their favorite things right right i mean you hit on the head you never forget your first right that applies to music as well and i think like when i first heard valerie collective stuff it might have been like 2010 Mm -hmm. right around the drive time but 2011 was drive so this was like in the run-up and that whole vibe going on i was like oh shit what's that and it was like an algorithmic thing anyway point is they were my first, some of my first retro-minded artists that I heard. So I do have a sort of like an affinity for them. I think that they also they were going into it without any structure in place. Frederick Anrak was making Night Drive with You songs just as a thing on the side while he had this rock band, and there was no synth wave. There really wasn't. There weren't a lot of people in the world doing this music. Like when you listen to Valerie and Friends, that 2009 album, that was like a compilation of Valerie acts and their friends, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. That was pretty much the entirety of all the people making that music, other than like obviously Michael Glover, Miami Nights wasn't on there, and MPM wasn't on there, but it was like a huge chunk of the people making the music were were on that album, and they were just kind of doing their thing. Electric Youth was still synthwave then, and they haven't been synthwave in my opinion, and seven years or so but they were all just doing their thing and i feel like when you when you don't have a structure in place when you don't have people trying to assign genre or subgenre categories to you when you're just like creating music that you love based on you know if you're french watching american movies you're making music because you saw a bunch of 80s movies and you're a kid whatever Mm -hmm. i think that there's more of an immediacy and it allows for more creativity if there's nothing there then you can do anything you want now i think the problem is there's a lot of great newer artists. I listen to a ton of them, but there's also this idea that, and you see it in the Synthwave Producers Facebook group, like this snare has to have this level, this percentage of gated reverb, or you have to have this certain key structure, or chord chord arrangement, or whatever. So that's my I'm, I say words good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's more music talk than I ever do on this show. <laughs> but basically, like now, there's much, people are a little bit more dogmatic, while also at the same time making stuff that's way more like metal like synth metal and stuff. There's like, I don't know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on and I'm going on a tangent here. My point is I think that like one thing I like about them, primarily I think you're right. I think I just like them a lot because they were the first ones that got me into it. But I also think that they maybe resonate with me more because I feel like they had really no limits to what they were doing other than the limits of the notes that they know or the limits of their technology. Yeah, no, I agree totally with what you're saying. It's it's the idea of imposing limits on people's creativity. You know, actually, we'll, we'll keep talking about this, but we got to listen to a song first. So here is a cool track from Billy May's band, and this is Hyperion. We'll be right back. 
And that was Hyperion by Billy May's band. Cool stuff. And uh, yeah, and we're back here. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, we're talking about uh, limits. Like people who sort of impose weird limits on music and creativity. And uh, you know, this came up, I think like in the first show I ever did. I think when I first talked to Robin uh, Ogre, yeah. you know, when I did the first show and he was talking about how the chiptune scene sort of like, there was scenes where they would sort of degenerate into like pedantics where it's just, you know, oh, this is not only real chiptune if you're, you know, using this sort of equipment and recording it this way and doing it this way. Like there's like this purest aspect. For me personally, I just like music that sounds cool. So maybe I'm guilty of doing something wrong, but like I use synthwave. I just say that word. But when I say it, it's sort of encompassing like a whole bunch of different stuff because when I talk to Rick Shithouse about this, like he was more on the camp of subgenres and things and, and, and I... I'm just not like I just feel like do you want to be an artist who's like yeah what do you do I make fucking synth chip retro laser yeah. wave you know whatever it's just like just make cool music like <laughs> if you're in the the producers um the Facebook group it's like I understand talking about the snare if it's like dude I really love the sound of right. this snare how do you achieve it and someone says hey man if you want it to sound like this you got to apply these filters blah 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 yeah but if it's like your song is not proper unless you use this specific snare and do these specific things then to me that's stupid right and I think that's exactly the point like people are trying to prescribe like that's not 80s enough or whatever and I had somebody tell me I literally played a Tangerine Dream song I think I told this story on Rise of the Sense documentary but they basically said that Tangerine Dream song from the 80s wasn't 80s enough they were thinking it was like a newer synth waiver (laughs) so I I was like I don't even what do you say like yeah this uh <laughs> what do you say yeah, to that? No, exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think it's weird because you would expect that you or I would be more into this taxonomy of this stuff because we interview people and I write about people. So you'd think I would be like obsessed with breaking things down into different subgenres and that. But I feel like I don't have enough patience or brain space t- to worry about if something is whatever the fuck they, they call it now, like with pop or synth or whatever like i just i just call it synth wave and then i just usually say like you know dreamy synth wave or i say more synth pop inspired synth wave and stuff like that like and i i I totally get why rick or scully iron scully would uh sorry (laughs) iron scully yes uh would or there's this free wave guy who makes these huge infographics which is a great seo move on his part kudos to him (laughs) i can totally get why they'd be interested in it definitely like with rick being at the forefront of this stuff writing for the binary blog you know years ago would have sort of like a, a vested interest in like figuring this stuff out but i just don't have I don't think I have enough of like an attention span to deal with it. From my perspective, I like the mood that music creates. Like I'm, right. I love music and I love electronic music especially. And I'm always, I have a pretty visual brain. So like I'm always, I mean, I still have like a lot of projects I want to make like video related things and movies and stuff. And, and so when I listen to music, I like that different songs take me to different places visually in my imagination. I just think this would be cool. And I'm always thinking of what, how it can be used. Right. So to me, it's like, you know, when I hear a cool song, if I'm listening to like fucking makeup and vanity set or something, I'm just like, dude, like this would be wicked for some cool fight scene or some chase or something. And then when I listen to pilot priest, you know, he's got these songs that build to like these sort of, uh, orchestral sort of crescendos where I'm like, this would be wicked 
circuit for the climax of a thing. You know, like different music sort of does that to me. And, and I love that I always get taken away with music and I will sit there and I if I really like a song, like I will press the earphones against my head and sort of close out the world and just sort of absorb it. And so I don't care if it's fucking synth jazz fusion fucking whatever, you know, whatever. I just right. think like, did this move me? Does it have fucking synthesizers in it? Cool. Then I'll play it on the show. I mean, that's pretty much my metric is like if I like it I play it that's why when I see people who have blogs where they write negative reviews like each to their own I don't think the synthwave scene is big enough to warrant that kind of criticism especially since some of the artists are just dudes and ladies who are just making stuff in their rooms or apartments you know right. like they, they they're don't putting have a lot out there and they're just doing it in, the, in their bedroom on the side and I mean obviously it's you can't tell someone don't be honest about how you feel with something sure. but but I still think there is some civility to be had like look I'm not a fan of fucking political correctness but I am a fan of being civil and so whereas I wouldn't tell someone what they can or can't say I still think it's like but come on like don't be a dick well i think right and like someone had made a comment to me like they said oh you're only positive or whatever and it's actually not that it's just that i only write about stuff that i know i would have on like my my record collection sure so my site is mostly like interviews and recommendations and it's not all synthwave a lot of it happens to fall under synthwave but i also interview composers for like random movies and they don't do any synthesizers, whatever. Basically, I think like it's very much kind of an ego website in the sense that I just write about whatever I like. Mm-hmm. And that's that corner. And I think you also are in that way in the sense that you're like, oh, let's uplift the community. There's these great artists. It's kind of like Marco's approach, right? Like on his podcast, he would just put on tons of songs. It's like, holy shit, this song's amazing. You got to hear it. And I think that is much better suited for a small community like this. However, I do think there is a space for like constructive criticism in like the traditional sense, mm-hmm. like a Lester Banks kind of thing or Rolling Stone, whatever. When you have reviews that seem like they have, they're taking something personally or they have like a personal vendetta against like the artist or the approach, it seems very bizarre to me and, and not a good idea because the scene is still fairly small. Yeah, I agree completely, man. I think when a scene is this small, the likelihood that the artist is actually going to read, you know, the review or the article and take it personally is like so high. Whereas, you know, if it's like a super famous person, there's like the likelihood that they'll just never even see it, right? But, you know, anyway, look, we got to listen to some more music and then uh, and then we'll keep talking about this. So here is a track from Samo & Co. from the album Odyssey. And uh, this track is called Obsolescence.
And that was Samo & Co. With the track Obsolescence. That's a cool one. I hope you guys aren't feeling obsolescent out there. Like us old men. And I'm back here chatting with Aaron from Velingo. And we're talking about negative uh, and positive reviews. And, you know, like different review styles and stuff. And my personal thing... I do this show, obviously, with a love of this kind of music, but I also do it because I like talking to people. Right. And so part of my disposition is like, maybe that when I see somebody being negative, I'm just kind of like, that's no way to make friends. And like, <laughs> then I think in my head, like, is that what I'm doing? Like, do I do this show to make friends with people? Like, that's- Well, you, you have a lot of friends. I saw all the photos in <laughs> Toronto. But that's the way I treat it because like, I, I've always loved talking on the phone ever since I was a kid. I guess when I get the most criticism from people, it's because they don't understand what the show is. People will go to SoundCloud expecting a playlist and then like I'll get negative comments like, why is there all this talking? Why, why is there 30 minutes with this Veringo guy yeah. <laughs> talking about Batman Returns? Yeah. What the hell is this? But to me, it's like, I like meeting people. I like talking to right. people with similar interests and I almost hardly talk about the music because it's more about getting to know people sure. and then it happens to exist in this synthwave kind of framework. So, with the amount of people I've gotten to know doing the show, I just think when there's any sort of like malicious negativity put out there, I just, I know these people and I'm just like, dude, I wouldn't like someone saying this shit about me. Right. And I don't, I don't even give people really criticism privately. I like very rarely, like I have to really be close with, with a producer to like even make the suggestion because I, I don't want to be tampering with them. The only, the only one I can say is look a set. I will get mad at Adam that he's not making music, yeah. but that's probably the wrong approach because <laughs> I actually get mad at him. You get actually mad. Well, I mean, you can't make an album like the 2014 one whose name I can't remember because I can't remember names, but that album with radio and arms of mine and all mm -hmm. that, you can't make that kind of record and then disappear and not have something to follow it up in 2018 when Synthwave is bigger than ever. You can't do it. Well, he's uh, he just has a, a lovely voice. And so, like, whenever I talk to him, I'm just like, dude, like, fucking sing something. Like, just say something. Um, but at the, at the same time, what the fuck? I feel like my phone is going off. I hear, like, my answering machine. That's very retro, an answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a landline. How about that? Well, that's, I can't even imagine. Uh, but, so, like, the thing that I think of is, like, there's the constructive criticism that I have read when they tie it all together, they have a context to it, and then they talk about like why they think the artist didn't succeed where they should have and stuff like that. Sure. I think is really cool. And I've seen that Iron Skull had, had an interesting review of The Midnight's Kids. He had a completely different approach to what I had because he had a different response to it. And it was a very like well-constructed sort of argument. I don't agree with it at all, but I thought it was really interesting. And so like if you approach it that way, but if it's more like if you get a review where there's like kind of like a shit post, then yeah, it's like not cool and you're going to hurt people's feelings. And you know, everybody's like friends with each other because everybody friends each other in super intensely on Facebook. It's, it's trying to find that balance. Like I'm definitely not good at it. There's people who send me music all the time and I don't like their music, but I don't ever say that to them. So, like, I just go, like, yo, keep sending me stuff, and I'm just hoping for the day. Like, there's certain artists who I just hope for the day when, like, I can't wait till this person sends me something I like right. because then I'll play it. But at the same time, it's like, you want to encourage people. You want to encourage people to get better. Yeah. How do you do that without some sort of constructive criticism? Because ultimately, you want people to be making good music. If they are definitely creative people at heart and they're going to continue to create, then obviously you want to see some sort of growth in their art right, and right. how are they going to do that if people aren't honest with them? I think like behind if you think about like if you have an album that has like let's say 10 or 12 tracks 
there's probably a hundred other songs that were created to get to those 12. So I like the approach that you're talking about. It's like you're giving them room to develop their craft. And I'm not even too particular about production techniques because obviously, yes, there are some artists who they come on the scene, they have a history with production, and they blow you away with their first album. I mean, like The Midnight, right? Right. The, the Midnight just comes out with an album that is perfect. And it's already good. Everything's good about it. The songwriting's right. interesting. The singing's good. The production's great. And then there's some artists who, you know, I'll play on the show where, yeah, maybe the production isn't, it's not produced to perfection, but the melody's cool or there's something cool about it that I like and I'll play. And then two years later, they come out with something else and I actually hear like an improvement and go, oh, wow, like these these guys actually like morphed and became better. And, right. and that's great. Obviously, it's a lot easier when someone just pops in the scene and just has a great album immediately. Right, exactly. We can't always expect that. No, no. Some of the first drafts I have of a piece or some of the stuff that I published 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like, you know, I would never even publish it now. You you have to have room to be able to grow. Do you have a lot of old pieces where you're writing like, like, and um, like into the actual article? No, no. That's just my podcast. I spend like two hours editing out my likes and um. (laughs) But, uh, no, but I think about this some of the college pieces not college the artist but like when i was in college some of the music columns that i wrote thankfully this was in print and it's basically lost in time but mm. you know i just have stupid angles on like a movement in pop music or i review a crazy album and i just eviscerate it and then i listen to it now and i'm like this is one of my favorite albums and it's just a little embarrassing the thing with like artists sometimes that they have to like they release the stuff and you can't get rid of it once it's out there. So you might have like a lesser debut or something. And then now they're really awesome. It doesn't mean that that's like necessarily bad because they didn't mix it well enough or something like that. No, exactly. And it also makes a more interesting story too. Sometimes when an artist starts out and actually gets better and better as they go, like, I think that's really cool. But uh, look, we got to listen to some more music, man. It's music time. So here is a track by Jarrett Randazzo. I think that's how you say that. Jarrett Randazzo. Anyway, this is a fun little pop song. This is Pretty Girl. Pretty Girl, open up your eyes. Pretty Girl, the whole world waits outside. When you're ready. Pretty Girl, that smile on your face. Pretty Girl, don't let it go to waste. Just be
just fine And there's nowhere else I'd rather be If that's a crime, lock me up and throw And that was Pretty Girl by Jarrett Randazzo. Pop music. Go check it out. And uh, I'm back here with Aaron from Vailingo. And we're talking about how, you know, like artists, musicians and stuff, you know, can kind of grow over time. And it's cool to hear them actually get better and improve, which is pretty neat. And it's also fun when an artist discovers their sound you know like they start maybe with a synth like uh, magic dance is a good example where like it's you know he started doing synth wave kind of stuff yeah. and now he's doing more aor yeah, and the aor stuff is great oh like so what God. he evolved into yeah. is fantastic so what's your approach then like before you start writing like do you have an angle like what what's your actual uh process i mean kind of like basically you get an angle once you're if it's an interview you kind of have a general idea like okay this new movie is out so i'm going to figure out how they approached scoring for this movie how did they work with that director how did the story speak to them who did they score for stuff like that if it's an interview like with anorak the angle is sort of like the 10th anniversary of the release so so or that's the hook. So the angle would be going back and looking at the history of the album and then capturing the history of Valerie along the way. With Electric Youth, it was sort of about Breathing, which was the soundtrack that was to a movie that originally was directed by Pilot Priest. And then they lost creative control over it and sort of left. So the angle with that was like building an album and building, picking up the pieces after a project is not yours anymore. In some cases, I had the angle in mind when I asked the questions, but then in other cases, the angle sort of dissolves as you as something else manifests when you're talking to people. So if we're deep in a conversation and it's like, oh, wow, this is way more interesting than what I had in mind, I'll shift and go with that. How do you uh, conduct your print interviews? Like, do you just send questions back and forth? Like, how does that work? Oh, yeah, it's all different things. Some artists prefer uh, to have the email, the questions emailed to them because of timing. A lot of it is schedule and mm-hmm. some of it is that they like writing themselves. So they're able to kind of go more in depth. Uh, I Skype a lot with like with Cliff Martinez. I Skyped with him. Same with Matt Quayle. And then in other cases, it'll be just a straight up phone call. You know, it's basically anything that you can think of other than, like, I haven't interviewed anybody on Facebook Messenger yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is maybe something you learned with your sort of journalism background, but, like, how do you reach out to some of these people? Because, I mean, I know from from my point of view, I sort of stopped trying after a while. I mean, maybe I should try harder. I'm really bad at being persistent. Oh, yeah. So I'm not a very, um, what's the word, Uh, audacious guy. So, like, when it comes to doing interviews i sort of send one email right maybe i'll send one message and if i don't hear back from them i'm just like well that's it 
I very rarely send a second message. And if I do, it's like years later. And so there are some artists who, you know, like bigger artists, uh, whatever, uh, that I have reached out to. And if I don't hear anything back or if I get one of those weird like management emails, I'm kind of like, okay, we're done. Like, I don't even I don't even pursue further. Right. And when the midnight was in Toronto, even though I do have both of those guys contacts, they're busy when they're on tour. And so they're like, you know, just to coordinate with the manager and the manager like kind of wasn't getting back to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss them because I really just didn't want to send a second email. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> but I understood the dude was busy. Like, and it, it, all, it all worked out fine. Like we ended up coordinating and doing a show, but like it was very last minute and it's totally understandable. Right. It's just, I'm not that kind of dude. And when I hit send on another email... I feel like such an asshole. Like when I'm hitting send on an email that's like, hey, you know, I messaged you a few weeks ago. Uh, you didn't get back to me. Just wondering if, and like the second I hit enter on that email, I'm like, you piece of shit. Like to myself. You're, you're garbage human. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> uh, well, there's certain times where, I mean, I'm still sort of persistent with certain interview subjects where I'll check in, you know, every six months. And if they're in town and they're like doing a q and I'll go and say hi and just make myself known, like humanize. Mm. I'm not just some weirdo, but, you know, with a, an email address, you know, that sort of thing. Like sometimes I time it right. Like, for example, you mentioned like they're on the Midnight Hunt Tour, so they're harder to get a hold of. When I interviewed them, they were like on break from touring. They had just released Nocturnal. Right. So there was like some downtime and Tyler lives in my neighborhood. So we just met up at like a local pub. And then I just talked to Tim on the phone and it kind of worked out that there was just like an hour or two available. But like if I were to try to do that now when they're doing this like 18 date international tour, it would have been impossible for like a site like mine. I think like that rocks that you're able to get work them into your show and stuff like that. I feel like when you have like an audio show, you know, a radio show type thing, you you have a little more flexibility. So I would I would encourage you to stay persistent with some of these artists. Yeah, it's just hard. I mean, for me, I always want now that there's actually more stuff actually happening in Toronto, I want to take full advantage and the nice thing is that there's a lot of people who I've developed relationships with just by having them on the show early on so like I mean the midnight I've had on twice and that was before they right. fucking exploded right so I'm always happy for the the success of people because obviously I want this music out there and for people to listen to it because it's great but there's there's a part where I sort of let go of certain people you know where I'm just like alright you know I had them on the show before <laughs> you know they're big now there's a good chance that they're done talking to me and that's fine like I'm, I, I don't hold it against people but I'll still try occasionally yeah. and, you know i think i'm at i'm at the stage now with like perturbator where like eh, maybe i'll talk to him once every like three or four years <laughs> but that's fine you know and like and the midnight i was fully expecting not to get in touch even though like I, I do message with them occasionally but once they started blowing up after nocturnal yeah things changed right because they got a management agency you know then it was more like whenever i was like hey man you know we should do this thing or that and it's like yeah just uh you know email so and so and usually when i get that email when i get the uh yeah just just talk to the manager and i'm just like okay Okay. And then I don't because <laughs> it's like as soon as I'm not dealing with people personally anymore, yeah. that's when I tune out. OK, so I'm used to dealing with PR people and managers and stuff like that. And they can actually be very helpful in terms of providing like a real structured, like, you know, that this time at this day that they're going to do interview. I'm seeing that now as of the show with the midnight because their manager is actually a really cool guy. Yeah, he's very nice. I just met him last night. He was a very nice guy. Yeah, I liked him. I liked where his head was at. I liked that he understands what Synthwave is. Yeah. Because we actually had like a really nice talk like after the show, not not the podcast, but like after the uh, the midnight's performance when I was uh, talking to the manager and he was cool because, you know, he gets it and he was telling stories about how difficult it is to convince bookers and venues to have them perform because these people 
people don't understand what synthwave is, and so he's having to like explain it to them, and and a lot of them don't understand it until they actually see it, and then when they see it in person, they can see that like oh, there's actually like a big audience for this stuff, and the people actually really care right. passionately about it, but you you don't know that until you experience it. So he actually turned out to be pretty cool, and I guess a very simple example of that the power you know that a manager can sort of streamline and organize like right at the end when I needed to take a picture with the two guys and and you know they're all talking to fans and stuff like that and we had to go and then I just go up and like yeah can I just grab a picture with the two guys and you know he just runs in just wrangles them like yep <laughs> Tim Tyler you gotta take a picture with Andy okay and then grabs him in we go in we take a picture it's done yeah, and then go. it's like yeah I couldn't have done that without a dude who's wrangling these guys right 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 exactly and they're they're in a headspace where they're you know their job is hard they gotta make a couple thousand people really excited for a long time and they're probably not thinking about oh I need to make sure the two of us are standing in a photo with Andy oh yeah well no one wants to do that no (laughs) (laughs) yeah in fact I'm glad that this is just a phone call and not actually in person (laughs) I don't want to turn to stone or whatever it is <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have uh, evil powers that you only experience full on when I'm actually there. My eyes start fucking glowing green, and then you lose a piece of your soul. That's how I stay alive. Is that why your your last name's Last, right? Mm-hmm. So you're the last person anybody ever sees. Most of the time, yes. They turn to dust. Okay. Yeah, I, I document them. Like I steal their soul by capturing their essence in audio form, and then yeah. from that point on, they're just a fucking mindless husk. <laughs> Until the day that they just fucking smash apart, and then it's over. (laughs) Anyway, look, we got to listen to some more music. So here is a uh, a remix of a Bunny X track done by Diamond Field. So that's cool. So this is Bunny X with the track Come Back, the Diamond Field rework. It could also be the Diamond Field remix. Sometimes people send me, like, the Masters, and they have different titles. So I think this is called the Diamond Field rework. Could also be the Diamond Field remix. Who cares? It's just cool music. So let's listen. This is Bunny X with Come Back. Remix by Diamond Field. If 
That was Bunny X with the track Come Back, the Diamond Field Rework. And that was cool. And we're here. We're chatting with Velingo, a.k.a. Aaron Velling, who is uh, an awesome writer and he writes lots of cool articles. And I guess speaking of which, like, you've obviously been doing this for many years. Like, so is there a particular article that you've written that's like your favorite or that you're like the most proud of i think the drive one is up there uh that one opened a lot of doors and also allowed me to spend a lot of time writing about a soundtrack and movie that's top of mind all the time i got to talk with cliff martinez electric youth johnny jewel college for that one it was great and then you know the, the another interview that i really liked doing was the actually the other interview with cliff martinez the one i did this year that was much more in depth and then the electric youth also i always love interviewing them they've been very good to the blog so those ones stand out but there's too many man it's like picking your which one's your favorite kid you know like these are i put so much time and effort and heart and soul into every piece especially the bigger interviews that like i'm kind of attached to all of them but yeah but you got to pick one now that's the way yeah. this show works. That's the rule. Uh, <laughs> one, one article. You got to pick just one. All right. I'll say the fifth anniversary <laughs> drive soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
what's the plan then? What's the, what's the future hold for Veilingo? I mean, I know I saw you started like a, a podcast podcast. Yeah. Yeah. The podcast is, is, that's still working. That's going, it's on a network that's run by a really cool guy. It's got some other great shows on it, like the Lakeshore Records podcast, stuff like that. I do different types of interviews on that one. And I've interviewed some really cool people, mostly Canadian. Uh, Lamatos, yeah. <laughs> Pilot Priest, Dana Jean, Mecca Maiko. Most. <laughs> so I'm, I think that one will just, I'll move that to Toronto. That can be a Toronto. Based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just uh, you can use my recording studio, man. It's huge. But I mean, it's cool that you're doing it. I think that's the bottom line. Like, I feel like other people doing podcasts sort of ups my game. And it's just that a lot of them, they just sort of come and go. Like someone will do a podcast for a couple months and then stop doing it. And I think that the only difference with my show was that I never stopped doing it. You know, I mean, I, mean, I also put a lot of work into the production, too. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. I mean, you also can't forget that you also have like a very good personality like a presence for example like with my podcast it's much more like i'm uh, like listening to like national public radio or whatever the canadian equivalent is it's a little yeah. bit <laughs> I, i'm not as like dynamic i leave that to the guests it's that kind of thing and what's interesting about my podcast is the network it's on and the audience is not really people in the scene it's for people who are just getting into synthwave or casually listening or they're only experience with Synthwave is through that podcast. It's a right. very different audience from the blog and from your stuff and from the other podcasts that people will do for a couple months or whatever. Yeah. The persistence is key. I think like the, the blog's turning four soon. It's like one of the only ones left from when I started. I mean, what are the main ones now, really? I mean... I couldn't even tell you. I don't know. I don't even want to say names because I don't want to leave anybody out or... <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, like... And there's a lot more blogs than there used to be. I remember when I started mine... Four years ago, it was like Synthetics and Neon Vice and Johan still had, Johan Dream still had Drive radio blog going. Um, but like generally there weren't, there's yeah, maybe five you count on your hand. I just think like now there's probably a dozen that, that write about Synthwave, right? Like, I don't know. There's too many, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's too many in the sense that like I can't keep track. Right. And, and I like reading other blogs because I like to see what other people's perspectives are on this stuff. But there's too many for me to name. Yeah, but then you can cheat. And then you just look at other people best of year lists and you can like get ideas actually but you don't actually do those types of things anyway do you i stopped doing year-end lists because how can i say that this is number one and this one's number seven right what is the difference between these one i went had a better song i don't know i'm not very great at quantifying things so i kind of stay out of that but like i think going forward to answer your question like the blog i have the blog that's going to keep going for at least another year then we've got the podcast i'm going to do some more Valingo presents compilations like the first one i did was more of a remix thing where i gathered like Highway Superstar and Asadule, aka Tommy86, Lightning, and some others. I'm looking to do something that's more of original uh, songs, like a compilation. Mm. I've been reluctant to do that or to really organize any events because I'm kind of a perfectionist. So if I can't have the best compilation ever with every single artist that I want, I'm not going to make a compilation. But I can't really approach life that way because otherwise nothing will ever get done. So, <laughs> Did you do yeah. a panel? For the at New Jersey thing? Oh, at Neon in Rhode Island? I did not yeah, do a panel. Yeah, sorry, no. Rhode Island. I, I swear to Christ, I saw an image of you behind a, one of those panel desk things. Am, am I inventing that in my head? Maybe. There was the, the Ladies of Synth had a, a record label guy who had a compilation. He was the moderator, and then there were three or four women on stage. It was Dana Jean, 
uh, Mecha Maiko and Julie from Future Holotape and Alex who does, has the Neo LA uh, booking agency and management company yes but I didn't know I, I was actually maybe you're just reading my mind because I technically was originally going to have be on a panel there and then that panel was cancelled I, I always thought it would be fun to go to the Neon Retrofest seems like my cup of tea like that oh, seems dude you would love it you would love it so much. Yeah, I really think I would. Like, I remember brainstorming many years ago what my ideal sort of synth wave related event is, and it seems like that's exactly what they're doing at Neon Retrofest. So, uh, so it's awesome. But look, man, we gotta listen to some more music, and then we'll probably uh, we'll probably wind down. But here is uh, a fun track from Digital Native Dance. This is Cybersonic, but the cyber is in brackets. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that was Cyber in brackets Sonic by Digital Native Dance. And right now I'm chatting with the guy who runs the Veilingo blog website, all that stuff, uh, Aaron Velling. And we were just talking about uh, Neon Retro Fest, which I wish I was at. But uh, I was thinking for the future, and I think it would be fun at an event like that to uh, do some sort of panel with, uh, you know, like the podcasters and the, the bloggers and stuff like that. I think that would be like a fun idea. Yeah, that would be awesome. I think you should do like a Toronto Beyond Synth. Yeah, for the two people that would actually give a shit here. There's a few like super fans in Toronto that pop up to all the events and I'll see them whenever right. I go to anything. Like so Julian? Ne- yeah, Neon Fox. Uh, yep. <laughs> he was like, he's always there. Half the time his mask never lights up. It's like, uh, I think there's something wrong with the battery pack or something. My mask never lights up either. It's a, it's, it's a sign of our times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so if if I ever did, I would literally get like two people show. It would probably be a fucking train wreck, man. Like I edit, I put so much work into the edit of this show because I know like if I was on stage, A, I would have to have a bit to drink just to feel comfortable. Yeah, I can, I can feel you on that. Like in this day and age, I'm totally the guy who is very capable of saying the wrong thing. And which is why I like editorial control over myself because I know... I know when I've said the wrong thing, and so I like I like to be able to go like, you know what? Even though I found this very funny, I can't keep this in the show because I don't want to have to answer questions about this later on because I, I can joke about pretty much anything. I don't have rules, but I know that the world kind of does. And so, so there's times where I say stuff where I'm like, you know what? This is funny. This, this stays between the guest and I. We had a good laugh, but I don't want to have to answer to this. I do that too. Like it's it's. I find that most of like whenever I have to talk, use my actual voice and not write. I try to do it not live because I'm I'm not good. Right? I can barely talk right now. I'm like I tried to do not live. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I consider myself a fairly decent communicator, but sometimes I just say the dumbest shit. So I, I understand that. However. The great thing is you could have your festival and you could only maybe introduce acts or have like the opening. You could maybe do the speak at the opening ceremony, have written remarks for five minutes, and then you just sit and bask in the glory of having brought all these people together. Yeah, I want to have like really poorly written like Oscar style monologue stuff <laughs> to say before every guest, just really badly written awkward comedy that just makes the audience just cringe and <laughs> Like you, you know, like when the presenters come out and they do that awkward thing where they're reading the the fucking teleprompter oh. and just terrible, terrible. That's what I want to do. <laughs> that's my wow. that's my aspiration. <laughs> Save like your most awkward and unruly barbs for uh, Lacassette. Well, see, that's another thing too, man. Like like people love the shows I do with Lacassette, and they are fun. But those are also incredibly edited as well. I know for a fact that if we were on stage wasted saying whatever we wanted, like those would be. They would just get everyone in trouble. You'd have to call the summoner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. If people don't know, that's a, that's a movie that he's in. He stars in. Yes, very true. Go check out the summoner on Amazon Prime. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Anyways, look, man, we got to wind down. We've been talking for a long time, but it was uh, it was good to chat with you. And uh, and the bottom line is, Veilingo, people can can go to your blog. What are, what are the important uh, addresses? Uh, it's Veilingo.com. You can spell it any number of ways and it will redirect you. Uh, just go to V-E-H-L-I-N-G-G-O.com. See, everybody's already tired. Otherwise, you can just search Vilingo and you'll find it. Um, you'll read a lot of fun interviews and reviews with synthwavers, movie composers, and, you know, other folks. It's a, it's a, it'll have a fun time. Well, I like having a fun time, so maybe I'll go. Try it. Try it. I know you've never been there. I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> 
I'm tracking your every move. All right, man. Well, look, uh, it was nice to talk to you in person here. Nice to hear your voice. Dude, it was a blast. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a long time of text existence, so it's nice to have a voice. Kind of, okay, that sounds bad. Uh, yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. All right, man. Well, take care, dude. You too, man. All right, and that was Velingo, Mr. Aaron Veiling, and uh, that was a good time. Uh, thank you all for tuning into the show. Tune in next time, and don't forget you can uh, support the show on uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash beyondsynth, and you can also just go to beyondsynth.com. You can check out the shop, although there's only one item there. I will explain next time. We had a problem. I wanted to get this mug. It was a black mug with a Beyond Synth logo, and I got a test one. I posted on Instagram the mug. And I was so happy with it. But then on closer inspection, the mug was not printed to my satisfaction, which means I don't feel comfortable putting it on the store. So there's just some silly stuff up there right now. I don't even know if it works. I guess uh, I guess we'll we'll figure it out. But anyways, look, thank you all for listening to the show. Thank you all for supporting the show. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth. It really is the best Synthwave chat show there is. So... You owe it to yourself to listen, is what I'm saying. Anyway, have a lovely weekend, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Bye, everybody! Thanks for listening. This was Beyonce. The football show today. Now shut up, the robot lady's got something to say. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.